Thank you, both Sunny and Zara, for reading. And this morning, we're just so thankful again that um, we are such an international church, aren't we? And we have people from different countries, different continents, and we're so thankful, especially also for those people from Eastern, Southern, Eastern uh, Asian countries, that you are with us, that you're part of our church family, for all that you bring to us, for all that we can learn from you. And, uh, and so thank you. So this morning we are continuing our series on the Psalms. This year as a church, by the way, is a year of prayer. We want to emphasize prayer. And this series through the Psalms in the first months of the year is sort of a way for us as a church uh, to learn how to pray with the Psalms. Now if you've just heard these two Psalms being read to you, you will have noticed perhaps that there's one particular phrase at the end of Psalm 11 that perhaps summarizes what both of these Psalms are about, and that is that the Lord is righteous. You could see these two Psalms sort of as, as meditations on the fact that God is righteous. But, but in both cases, the, the writer of the Psalms is facing difficulty, right? In, in Psalm 11, the writer of the Psalm is surrounded by enemies that seek to kill him. And he calls out to God who is in his holy temple. And, and he knows that God, he will one day, he will vindicate the righteous. He will punish the wicked. That's what it means that God is righteous. You come to Psalm 12, and again there's someone crying out in need to God. Someone who's surrounded by people that utter lies. Someone that is, if you continue to read, oppressed. And he calls out to God. And again, God hears. God acts. God is a God who's righteous. Now, as we learn to pray with the Psalms this year, I have to be honest with you, there are some psalms that I find easier to pray than other psalms. And especially the psalms that we were reading this morning, are, are, they're just not necessarily the psalms that I find the most easy to pray. And, and I guess there are different reasons for that. One of the reasons is that the situation that the author of the psalms finds himself in are not necessarily situations that I can identify with very easily. I have never been in a situation where I'm surrounded by wicked people that seek to kill me, like in Psalm 11. Or in Psalm 12, I've never really been in a situation where I have been the one who is poor and oppressed, and who seeks vindication from God. So that is one reason why I find it sometimes difficult to, to pray psalms like this. Another reason is also some of the harsh language. You know, especially in, in Psalm 11, this idea that God will simply rain fire and brimstone on the wicked, and that will be it. It sounds a bit harsh. What happened to loving your enemies and praying for those who 
persecute you. And so as I was wrestling with these texts uh, this week, as I was meditating on them, as I was praying through them, I was trying to seek ways in which I can honestly pray these psalms. And so this morning, rather than sort of giving a a line-by-line exposition of Psalm 11 and 12, I want to sort of share some of the thoughts that I had um, and and that hopefully will be, be helpful to some of us, ways in which we can pray psalms even if we find it difficult to pray some of these words, reasons why we perhaps should be praying these psalms. And I think one, one of the first reasons that we can pray these psalms is that even though I find it difficult to identify with the situation that I find described in Psalm 11 and 12, there are in fact many people around the world that do not find it very hard to identify with some of these situations. If I was standing this morning at a stage in a church In Ukraine, for example, perhaps the words of Psalm 11 would sound a lot more palatable. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I I got this newsletter through the Langham Network, and there is this Christian leader, uh, Roman Solovy, who is the director of the Eastern European Institute of Theology in Lviv in Ukraine. And he writes these words that I found quite challenging. He says this, to our friends abroad, the news of the Ukrainian tragedy could remain just a piece of information about events in a neighboring country. For us, it is the destruction of our world, our families, and our futures. Even the most sympathetic cannot experience what we are experiencing here on an existential level. Peering into a well and being at the bottom of one are two completely different experiences. As I was reading that, I was convicted and I realized I'm not even often peering into the well. I'm often trying to stay away from the well. And even if I stand at the well and look inside and pray for my brothers and sisters in Ukraine that are experiencing such horrendous situations. I cannot by any means experience what they are experiencing. Lord, the wicked are trying to kill. Lord, would you deal with the evil? Would you punish evil? Would you bring justice? Would you show your righteousness? What about Psalm 12, the cry of the oppressed, the cry of the poor? It reminded me of my dad who a few months ago went on a trip to Pakistan where he visited a small Christian community and part of his mission was he had received some funds from a local community to pay off the debts of some people that were caught in working in a brick factory and one of them as a mother of a few children. 
And her husband, who was working in the factory before, had become ill. And so the manager of the factory, he had paid for the bills of the hospital. And so after the husband died, there was no other choice for this mother to engage in intense manual labor day by day for very long hours, only to see her depth increase. She was not making enough money to pay off her death. And perhaps Psalm 12 would have been one of her favorite psalms. And so I guess one of the reasons why and how we can pray these psalms is by breaking out of our own small world and praying these psalms in solidarity with those that experience situations that do in fact resemble the situations that we find described in these psalms. That is one of the reasons why we can keep praying these psalms, I believe, or how we can keep praying them. Now, another reason, I think, to keep praying these psalms is by holding up these psalms as sort of a mirror to ourselves. Because you know what is really easy when we read these psalms? We, we read Psalm 11 about, you know, a righteous person and a group of wicked people. And, and it is very easy for us and perhaps very natural for us to identify with the righteous person. But in fact, we know that life is not as black and white as that. This world is not filled with a bunch of righteous people and a bunch of wicked people. The reality is more complicated than that, and the Bible does not hide that at all. I mean, in fact, these Psalms are ascribed to David, right? And there are definitely certain moments in the life of David, if we read the biblical story, where David is justified to, to pray these prayers. However, we also know of David that at one point in his life, he committed adultery. He tried to cover it up by killing the husband of the wife that he had unrightfully taken. It's the same David. So you could imagine that Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, he could have been praying those words of Psalm 11, not for David, but against David. Like, who is that? Who's the man who loves violence? Who's the wicked here? And I think that likewise, for us, when we read these Psalms, you know, it is very easy to just identify with the righteous and think, oh, the wicked, they're out there. But rather, I think these Psalms can also function as a mirror. We can pray these Psalms by upholding them as a mirror for ourselves. Asking ourselves the question, in Psalm 11, there's someone who's seeking refuge. What do we do with those that seek refuge today? Individually, as a nation? Psalm 12, the cry of the poor and the oppressed. What do we do? How do our actions every day affect those in different parts of the world 
that are poor and oppressed. The choices that we make, with the clothes that we buy, the food that we eat, all these things affect other people in the world. So rather than sort of triumphantly reading these Psalms as a way to vindicate ourselves, I think one meaningful way in which we can pray these Psalms is by upholding them to ourselves and discovering in ourselves what things there are in our lives that we still need to repent of. I think that's one meaningful way to keep praying these Psalms. And thirdly, there is another way, I think, that we can keep reading and praying with these psalms. And that is by, by not praying them in isolation, but by recognizing that these psalms are part of a wider biblical story. You know, particularly in Psalm 11, that reference to fire and brimstone, of course, it recalls that story of Sodom and Gomorrah, doesn't it, that you read about in Genesis 18 and 19. So when you read that psalm, maybe just go back to Genesis 18 and 19 to see whether the situation there is as black and white as you might think from your memory or when you read Psalm 11. And you go to Genesis 18 and 19, and you find out that even in that sort of that, that central story, that emphatic story, that difficult story about fire and brimstone coming down from heaven, the situation is not, perhaps not as black and white as we remember. God hears the cry that is coming up to Him, perhaps a cry of the oppressed. God is looking at the situation and finds out that the situation is indeed not good. And so he makes known his plans to overthrow these cities to Abraham. And Abraham intercedes. He negotiates with God. And, and, the, and the idea, the, the picture that we get from that story is that God is very willing for Abraham to pray to him, to negotiate with him. In fact, when you read the story, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, they almost get saved. You know, if only there were a few more righteous people, or perhaps if almost Abram had asked for a lower number. And you continue to read in Genesis 19, and Lot flees to this small town called Zoar, and God saves that city of Zoar because Lot is there. So even in that difficult story of Sodom and Gomorrah, we still do not get the picture of a God who is just pleased to rain down fire and brimstone to punish wicked people. We get the picture of a God, perhaps like Ezekiel later says, a God who is not pleased with the dead of the wicked, but wants people to repent. And then perhaps one final meaningful way and I think an indispensable way in which we should be reading these psalms is by reading them with Jesus. Because you know, as Christians, we believe that the God who is righteous, you know, we said at the beginning, these psalms are sort of a meditation on what it means that God is righteous. 
The God who is righteous actually became one of us, came down from heaven, took on flesh. His name is Jesus. So read the Gospels. What is happening there? Read the Gospel of Luke. We, we hear about Jesus gathering around himself a bunch of fishermen, ruffians, friends. Jesus is the one righteous person there, but the people that he gathers around him are quite a mixed bag, aren't they? You know, one day there's a story that they, they go to Jerusalem. They set out for Jerusalem. And, and as they set out for Jerusalem, Jesus and his friends, they, they see the Samaritan town in the distance. And so Jesus and his friends, they send some messengers to this Samaritan town to prepare things for Jesus. But the messengers are being denied. The people in the town don't want to receive Jesus. So they're sent back to Jesus. And two of Jesus' friends, John and James, they suddenly remember this story, you know, from the Old Testament. Remember that time when Elijah, it's kind of a crazy story. You can find it in 2 Kings 1. When Elijah was sitting on this, this hill and there were messengers from the king sent to him, and, and they wanted Elijah to come to the king, and Elijah called down from fire from heaven, and all these people were just destroyed then and there. So John and James think, well, that was quite effective, wasn't it? Hey, Jesus, should we do the same? Should we just call down fire from heaven for these Samaritan towns? That would deal with the problem. But Jesus turns to them and rebukes them. Jesus, the one in whom the righteousness of God is revealed, the one in whom we see what it means that God is righteous, tells his disciples, no, this is not the way we're going to do things. And he continues his journey to Jerusalem with his friends. And on the way, he continues to explain to them, to reveal to them what God is really like. And finally, when he comes to Jerusalem, this righteous man, Jesus, is arrested. False charges, charges are being made as he is sentenced to death. What happens with his friends, his band of followers? Well, one of them betrays him, the other one denies him, most others run away. All these righteous people who are so keen on punishing these wicked people in the Samaritan town, they're suddenly gone. And so Jesus faces his way to the cross being abandoned by those that were closest to him. He's handed over to Roman soldiers who torture him and who nail him to a cross. The one righteous person being nailed to a cross by those that are most wicked, right? Those Roman soldiers. Wouldn't this be a great moment, Jesus, to call down fire from heaven? To call down fiery coals and brimstone to just crush all those wicked people. We only want the righteous to remain.
Could Jesus have done that? I think he's trying to say something. While he's nailed to the cross, we hear these words. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And as Jesus dies, there's a Roman centurion who is, you know, the leader of these wicked people that put Jesus to the cross, this one righteous person. And he stands at the foot of the cross and looks at Jesus. He sees what is happening. And it says that he praises God and he says, this truly is a righteous man. Psalm 11 and 12 are meditations on what it means that God is righteous. What it means that he does things that are right. And I think that we can keep praying these psalms. As I said, in in solidarity with people that face situations that are close to the ones described in the psalms. We can pray these psalms as as a mirror to ourselves to see in what ways we still need to grow, what things we still need to repent of. We can pray these psalms when we consider them as part of the largest story of the Bible. And we can pray these psalms with Jesus. Because if we truly want to know what it means that God is righteous... We have to look at Jesus. Amen.